Luke, Luke chapter 14. I'll let you have a minute to turn there. Luke chapter 14. And we'll preach out of verse 28, 29, and 30. I guess we could uh, use all three of those verses. Luke chapter 14. Let's start reading in verse 28. Let me pray and, and then we'll get into the reading. Lord, I do, again, thank you, God, for all of your goodness. And we ask God that not only, uh, uh, Lord, we don't want to just come to you and pray about our personal wants and needs and desires, but uh, as I said before, God, the true need of the hour is that our souls be stirred, God, and I pray you that you'd help us and direct us tonight, God, in such a way that we can apply these things to our lives. Lord, you said to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Help us to fulfill that in our lives. Lord, you said that we're to be partakers of the divine nature, and I pray you'd help us to do that. And Lord, uh, that requires some discipline. That's why, Lord, your first followers were called disciples, and then all of us should become disciples, Lord. And I pray you'd help us to that end. We'll thank you and praise you for all that you do. In Jesus Christ's name I pray it. Amen. Amen. Now, I want to preach to you for just a few minutes tonight on counting the cost. I hope that's not a preacher lie and that it will be just a few minutes, but I want to preach to you about counting the cost. That, that really, the Lord uses such an illustration here that you need to count the cost before you do everything. You would have probably only quit about half of the things. I mean, I'm talking to quitters now. Some of you might not be quitters. I don't know. But if you are a quitter, maybe you are a quitter because you start things before you count the cost. Amen. The Air Force says aim high. Well, I recommend you start off aiming low. Make little goals. Amen. Make little goals and then complete those that give you confidence. Look here, I accomplished something. Amen. Uh, but if you account the cost before you start something, and the Lord uses here an illustration about carnal things, about building buildings. And so what he says is, is for which of you intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it. I know many a preacher started building a building on faith and end up bankrupt. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I know some preachers that bankrupted their congregation building buildings. So we built this by faith. Now you built it by money. Uh, blood, sweat, and tears. Amen. If you intend on, I, I recognize different situations for different things, and you do it, do it any which way you want to. But in the back of my mind, I figure if I'm doing it by faith, I can wait till the money comes in before I do it. <laughs> Amen. I don't think that hurt the Lord's feelings any more than saying I do it by faith and go get a bank loan. I, if one's going to be all right with the, with the Lord, I'm sure the other one be all right with the Lord too. But he's using an illustration here, and he's talking about carnal things, but he's using the illustration to promote doing things for God. Verse 27, whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He said, I can't discipline you if you're not going to follow me. Uh, no uh, Marine Corps drill instructor can make you into a Marine until you sign on the dotted line. You ain't even allowed to get in the training area until you sign up. Amen. When you get down to the recruiter's office, he's going to go over the cost with you. He's going to tell you some lies. He is, oh, you'll be able to do this and you'll be able to do that. Uh, they said, we'll, we'll buy all your clothes and send you to exotic lands and train you to kill them. 
Well, it, there's, not a, there's not an 18-year-old boy on earth that wouldn't be excited about a program like that. But he also said, now once you sign up the papers here, and once you go down there and stick your hand in the air and uh, swear to uphold the Constitution, you can't back out of it. Amen. This ain't like the Navy SEALs where you can, you know, uh, I've watched a program on the Navy SEALs when they, when they start that training program, they can go ring that bell and go home. But they ain't going home back to their mama's house. They're going home back to their barracks. They still got four years or three years or something like that. I mean, you might can back out of some things, but once you sign on the dotted line, it's going to cost you four years or however how many years you enlist for. It's going to cost you something. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I'm glad he said you cannot. I'm glad he didn't say you cannot be saved. Suppose he said, whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be saved. I'm glad don't say that. We're saved by by the grace of God. Amen. And we're going to get into that in just a second. But what I'm trying to point out here is that verse 28 and 29 and verse number 30, he's using this carnal illustration. He said, and you start building a building and you get about halfway up and you run out of money and you can't finish it. Somebody rides by one day, they'll say, hey, they're building a building there. And they ride by the next week. Boy, they're building awful slow. They ain't made no progress. They ride by the third year or the third week or the third month and it's still no progress. They're going to say, that's a bunch of idiots right there that started building that building. Now it's left out to the elements. When they do get it built, all this rain and damp, they're going to have mold in that house forever. Them's foolish people right there. They started building and they couldn't finish. Now, I think that there's probably been in some folks' lives where they've asked the Lord to save them and they've been saved because they put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they didn't build upon that foundation and folks is riding by. Well, they said they started going to church, reckon when they're going to quit drinking. Uh, they said they started, they said they got religion. When in the world is it their life is going to start changing? Looks to me like they're the same old person they was before they got saved. You say, Brother Mike, you get saved. You can get saved, you know, just by faith. And I understand that. But getting saved is a conversion. You go down to the car lot, they got two vans. One's an old hunk of a van. It's just got metal wrapped around it. And you can buy it and you can put your tools in there. And you can put all your uh, paint brushes or uh, saws and all that stuff in there. It's just a regular old van. Cost you about maybe $20,000. I don't know what the prices of them are today. They got another van in there. It's a conversion van. It wasn't made for your tools and for your common everyday. It was made for you to get in there and put your feet up and sit back in those captain chairs and enjoy that carpet and maybe pull out the rack in the back and take a sleep next time you pull into the RV park. It's a conversion van. It's different than that old empty shell. Amen. There ought to be some converted Christians that's different than that old shell that you started out with. Amen. Man that's born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. That just teaches me that every single man, every single person that's ever been born needs to be saved. And when it comes to that, if we're counting the cost tonight, it costs Jesus for your salvation. That's the good part. Amen. It, uh, we're talking about counting the cost. It cost Christ. For you to be saved, I want to look in. I want to uh, look in Romans chapter six. Romans chapter six, and the boy Romans chapter six uh, got some good news for you. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the gospel. Romans chapter six. Look at verse number twenty-three. 
For the wages of sin is death. That's what you paid for. That's what you get paid for the works you've done. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ bought my salvation. I talked to you a little bit about this on Sunday, and I, it bears repeating a little bit. Whenever you ask me if I'm saved, my mind does not wander back to the baptismal pool. Right, right. Amen. I, from time to time, I've asked people, are they saved? And they say, yeah, I was baptized August the 15th, 1957. I think that ain't what I asked you. Right. Amen. Uh, when, when, I, when somebody asks me if I'm saved, my mind don't wander back to vacation Bible school where I signed a card that said I would follow Jesus or nothing like that. That's not where my mind wanders back to. When somebody asks me if I'm saved, my mind goes immediately back to the second row of the middle aisle of the White Plains Baptist Church when my old preacher was preaching about the fact that God was going to condemn sinners and God was going to bring judgment on this world and God was going to bring judgment on every man. And he said at the end of that sermon that if you'd trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, the blood he shed on Calvary would pay for every sin you ever did sin, every are sinning, or ever will sin. And I slipped off that little pew and got down on my knees and Roger Collins an old fellow that used to sit on the front row of the church he's still alive today far as I know still preaching I don't know but he got off the front row and took his little Bible and took me through the Romans road you say was you saved I was saved because I trusted what the Lord did for me amen that's what my mind goes back to uh, my mind don't even uh, think about uh, baptism or signing cards or joining churches or none of that stuff when you ask me if I'm saved. All I think about is what Jesus done for me. Amen. Jesus done the work and I done the asking. He said in Romans chapter number 10, he said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's good for salvation. That's good for living after you get saved. Did you know the Bible when it's talking about salvation? The Bible said that God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Well, I believed when I got saved and the Lord saved me. But I still believe today. Uh, whether I'm reading the Bible or whether I'm listening to somebody preach, the Bible says that God chose the foolishness of that preaching to save them that believe. I listen to the preaching, I believe what I'm hearing, and God saves me on a regular basis. I didn't say I got born again on a regular basis. I got born again once, and God saves me every time I call on it. Say, so how many times will he do it? Uh, at least 490 times a day, amen. Simon Peter said, hey, how many times do I got to forgive my brother or my neighbor that offends me? Seven times a day? And the Lord says, no, I think 70 times seven be good. That's 490 last time I checked. I'm not real sure about math, but I, listen, I couldn't swear to you that 490 is the, is the equal to that equation, but I'm sure of this. Every time I've asked him to forgive me, he's forgiven me. Every time I've called on him and said, God, I need an answer. Maybe I didn't get it when I read the Bible by myself. But I sat down and listened to a preacher preach, and they brought out from the Word of God those sweet deliverances. Amen? Some people don't know nothing about that. But all I can say is, jump on in. The water's fine. Amen? Christian life is a great life. Amen? Didn't cost me nothing for this life. It cost Christ everything. Amen? I mean, if he talks about God and God gave you the power to become the sons of God, you just got to think of it. I mean, if you need the carnal uh, example of what it is, listen, you didn't do, you done absolutely nothing to be born into this world. You just looked around one day and the doctor was spanking your little behind. 
And some of you started crying then, been crying ever since. Amen. <laughs> Bunch of whiny babies. That's what we are, ain't we? Mm-hmm. But one day you did, sure enough, cried unto the Lord. The Bible said this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Amen. That's the God I serve. Amen. I have figured out, Brother Pedro, that my occupation in this world is to go out and get in trouble so God can get me out of it. I just about think that's my my job. Amen. Because I keep winding up doing it. I don't want that to be my vocation, but it seems like something I'm good at. I'm good at getting in trouble and God's good at getting me out of trouble. Amen. Amen. But see, that, that, uh, that assurance that God is going to help you, it, he paid the cost for that. Amen. Jesus shed the blood. We talk about uh, what can wash away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Listen, that's a, that's a great cost to him. That cost him more than it cost you. I mean, you think of the cost of things in silver and gold. And, but the Bible said that the blood of Jesus Christ is precious blood. It's much more precious than silver and gold. And every time we mess up and every time we say, well, the Lord will be over there and the Lord will help me. We ought to be, we ought to be in consideration that the Lord paid a great price for me to be able to go before the throne of grace and get help. Amen. It is a throne of grace. A lot of times we get saved and we're like, well, I'm God's son now. I deserve all this. No, I mean, you are a son of God. And being a son of God is definitely better than not being a son of God. But still, the sons of God. I'm talking about Bible believers. I'm talking about believers on the Lord Jesus Christ. When you get in trouble, you're coming before the throne of grace. You're not coming before the throne of entitlement. Amen. We come for the because you say why is it why is it not the throne of entitlement? Because listen, we're we're heirs from a, from an adopted side from a, from an adopted viewpoint. We got in this thing by grace. Amen. Yeah. Jesus is the natural born Son of God. He's entitled. Yeah. That's why we read it in Ephesians the other day. It said the the glory belongs to Christ in the church, Amen. world without end. When will I ever arrive at the place where I can get me some of that glory? No, you better just humble yourself, amen? And realize you're riding this ride on God's good grace, amen? It costs Christ for you to be saved, amen? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. It's not something you earn. It's not something you earn. One of the greatest things you'll ever learn in this life is salvation is not something that you earn. It's just not something you can't earn it. Well, what if, I come to, what if I come to church three Sundays in a row? What about that? What about it? I'll give you a Bible. <laughs> That's what they did when I was growing up. If you come six Sundays in a row, we'll give you a Bible. That's what our pastor, our pastor would like to do that, encourage people to come uh, on, uh, you know, uh, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Go to church one Sunday and get a blessing. Just what, think what would happen if you just tie some of them together in a string. Amen. God do some great things in your life. But, you, well, I went six Sundays in a row. What did that get me? Well, it got you some discipleship maybe. Got you some instruction. But you don't get saved that way. You got saved because Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Amen. Well, I, could, I, the, I prayed the other day and the Lord answered my prayer. The, the Son of God bought that with his precious blood. He sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. Not only that, he gave you the Holy Spirit at the time that you got saved. The Bible said he he indwelt you. He baptized you in the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is a is is part of the compensation. I shouldn't say that part part of the advantage of being born again. But that was that's the blood of Jesus Christ that bought that. How could God put his spirit in such an unworthy vessel as me? 
because the blood been applied. Amen? Amen. Because of God's kinship with his son that he can look favorably on you and me. God bought that. God bought that. Amen? It cost you belief. You certainly do have to believe. You certainly do have to call upon the name of the Lord. Faith. If you study Romans chapter 10, faith and belief, you can, you can think about those things separately or together. It doesn't make any difference to me. Study it the way you want to. But that belief, that faith, and that confession, that goes hand in hand. Brother Mike, I believe on the Lord with all my heart. Am, am I saved? Have you confessed him? That's a question that's worth asking. I think we've got to the point in life this easy belief is, well, just believe on it. The Bible says the devils believe. They even tremble. They're scared uh, to some degree. Maybe a little, maybe a lot. I don't know. They're not scared enough to change their actions, though. Amen. I, when it comes to that, I'm a little bit terrified because sometimes I inspect my own life and say, well, Lord, have mercy. I thought I was a disciple, but I ain't changed all that much. I my mind's still messed up. My head's still messed up. My heart's still messed up a little bit. Lord, I need your help. Yep. Amen. And that ought to be the regular cry of the Christian. Lord, help me out here a little bit. Amen. Amen. But the Lord didn't tell us to believe in change. Well, what he said was be converted, and we've got to let the Lord do that work. And the, the work that that's the work, that, the, the reason we have access to that work is because Jesus Christ died on the cross. Amen. And confess him, he said. He said, well, I believe confession is a work. Well, I don't really, not really concerned how you feel about the word confession. All I really know is that the Lord told me to confess him and to call on him and that, that would be good enough. And that's what I did. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Amen. Let's see you call on him without the blood applied and see how, how much good that work does you if you want to say calling on him is a work. And I really have heard some preachers say, well, we believe uh, confession of sin and we believe, you know, a prayer that's being prayed as part of your works. But try doing that without putting your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. You can pray all you want to. There's many religions that pray and twist beads and do every sort of thing in the world, but that don't do them no good unless the blood of Jesus Christ is applied. Amen? Yeah. Amen. The, the, the cost was Christ when it come to getting our souls saved. Amen? When it comes to being saved, Jesus Christ paid the cross. Now let's look at this. Number two, uh, to be on God's side in fellowship with God is what I'm trying to talk about. It's going to cost you a couple of things. Number one, it's going to cost you discipleship. Let's look in 1 John chapter 1. You say, well, I'm, in, I'm, I'm saved. I'm God's son. I've got a relationship with God. But how's your fellowship doing? I wish I could emphasize more. I wish I could make you understand better. I wish I could make it appealing to you. In other words, I wish I could say something, or I wish you would find something in the Bible that would make it appealing to you to have fellowship with the Lord. Suppose you had a wife that wouldn't talk to you. Suppose you had a husband that never talked to you or told you anything or gave you any of his deeper thoughts or how he felt about this or how he felt about that. That's not a very good feeling, is it? Suppose you found out your wife or your husband was keeping a secret from you. Suppose you found out he had $100,000 in the bank you didn't know about. (laughs) 
well, how can I get to know uh, more about this bank account you have? little fellowship wouldn't hurt. <laughs> little talk from time to time. You don't tell Ruth how much money I got in the bank. Right. <laughs> but no, that's a, that's a serious matter. I mean, re- relationship. I'm related to my wife. I'm related to my kids. But do we have fellowship? That's the question that you ought to ask yourself. See, we, we get in these relationships. Relationship, I want you to remember the word because it's important. We get into relationships to which we don't add any fellowship. Those relationships fall apart. Let me ask you a question. How could a man leave his wife? How could that be? There's only one way to be. There's no fellowship. You loved her the first time you saw her. You loved him the first time you saw him. Right? So uh, as time goes by, you loved her enough to marry her. You loved her enough to stay with her after you found out she don't cook like mama. You loved him enough to stay with him after you found out he, his feet stink. We won't go any more graphic than that, but he stinks worse than that, don't he? After a good day's work, smells wonderful, don't he? Smells like lilacs and roses, don't he, when he comes in from work. But you stayed with him anyway. Well, something, something happened over the ages or over the weeks or months or years that, that drove you apart. It's a fellowship fell apart. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Sometimes it is that uh, a man or a woman might uh, put themselves out to be something they're not. And once, they, once they're found out, we preached about that givers and takers a couple of nights ago. You remember that. Well, after somebody, after somebody that's lost their whole identity, a man or a woman or whatever the case might be, will change their identity to be able to take advantage of the advantages that you have to offer. They'll pretend to be something else and they'll pretend to, I mean, they'll have it down pat. But boy, once you find them out, the luster goes away. He's not what I thought he was. She's not what I thought she was. Then that fellowship disappears. That fellowship depends greatly upon the characteristics that I'm talking about. I can meet a man and I could say, well, hello, and I don't know this man from Adam. Hey, how you doing? Shake his hand. Talk with him a few minutes. I say, are you saved? Oh, yeah, I'm saved. Well, boy, we sure do got some things to fellowship about then. If you're saved and I'm saved, oh, yes, sir, sure enough. But once I find out he only told me he was saved because he wanted to sell me a car, and I hang around with him for about three weeks and find out he, him and I don't have anything to fellowship about, that relationship's going to crack and crumble and fall apart. Amen. The same thing is with Christ. Some folks might see an opportunity to get something off their conscience or off their mind. Somebody might see one sin. Boy, I remember a preacher get something, preach about sin. Yeah, I remember I sinned one time. I stole a little something. Boy, I sure do feel bad about that. And they'll get up and come down the altar and shed a few tears and ask God to save them. They'll go out, and, but their life don't change and their heart don't change and their outlook doesn't change and nothing seems to change and that's because they just wanted to lose the identity of being a thief, but you're still a thief. See, when you really get saved, you say, I'm not talking about I sin, I, I sin the sin of drinking or I sin the sin of adultery or I sin the sin of thieving or stealing or whatever you want to call it. I'm not talking about individual things at all. You come to the point where you say, I am a sinner. I am unworthy. This is who I am. 
You come down, you, you meet Christ, the Savior of sinners, the shedder of blood. And he washes you clean. Then you can begin to fellowship with him. Because you weren't just trying to get rid of your guilty conscience for stealing something. You were sorry that you was a sinner. Then he washed you up and cleansed you and converted you. Now you got something to fellowship on. And you go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm saved today. And the Lord will say, I saved you. (laughs) And the Lord will say, I love you, son. He said, well, you love me? I love you because you first loved me. Then you begin to converse with one another and actually speak to one another. But listen, let me tell you that this, this is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about relationship. I'm talking about fellowship. And that fellowship, whether you know it or not, is a, so well, you'd like to think you're Jesus, his only begotten son, but you're not Jesus, his only begotten son. You got into Christianity because of Jesus, his only begotten son. But you're, you're a son of God by belief on his son. You're adopted. And listen, your relationship with Christ is solid. Your relationship with God is solid. But your fellowship with God is not solid. It's going to cost you something. And that cost is discipleship, discipline. It's taking you from what you was and making you into something else, and that hurts. It's not, it's not the most pleasurable thing in the world. But I'll tell you what is pleasurable, the results of discipleship. That's what's pleasurable. The joy, the peace that comes from it. So, oh, the Lord has to, the Lord's been long-suffering with me. Well, you've, you've suffered, and the Lord's been long-suffering, and you've had to uh, put down the flesh, and you've had to set aside some of the desires and some of the things that you wanted out of life, because, quite frankly, those were carnal desires, things that, that are left over from the world, the, the life that you had before you got saved. You had to put them things away, and, oh, it's hard to put away things the flesh loves. That's why your little baby don't walk through the house one day and just go, I don't need this pacifier no more. Uh, he'll suck on it till he's 90 years old if you don't break him of it. You say, why? That thing comforts his little flesh. And listen, we don't never really get rid of pacifiers. We spit out the pacifier and take up a Coca-Cola. We, amen? We spit out the pacifier and take up a Budweiser. Amen. Uh, a fellow will spit out the pacifier, but then he'll take up wine, women, and song. But the Bible says, you sow to the flesh, and you shall of the flesh reap corruption. So what is it But that, that, I, I, that I have to admit that once you start trying to discipline this flesh, it's going to be a little bit rough. But what the thing to look forward to is the results of that discipline. Amen. It's going to cost you something. I told you to turn to 1 John chapter 1 and let's look in verse number 5. He says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The darkness that you got left in your life, Christian folks. I hope if I was to say tonight, everybody that's saved, raise up your hand. You don't have to do that. But if I did say that, I wish, I, I hope that every person in the room could raise their hand and say, I really am saved. But let me say, let me say this. The problem is that there, some darkness remains. Would you admit that? If you can't admit that, really, that, I mean, that's really a problem. If you can't sit here in this building tonight, I could certainly do it. And I would hope that every person in the room that's born again, I would hope that you could say, Brother Mike, I really do have some darkness left. But you know what the Bible says? In him there's no darkness at all. 
There's no darkness at all. And we talk about being converted, but there's something after conversion, and that's a transformation. Romans chapter 12 12 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your body, that you present, not God going to present it for you, that you present your body a living sacrifice, what kind? Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and... Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. There it is. That's discipleship right there. That's discipline. Transform. Hey, you was thinking this way. Stop thinking that way and think a better way. The Lord said if, if, there any, if there anything is thankworthy, if it's holy, if it's pure, think on these things, he says. Amen. That's the way you transform your mind. I said, well, I can't think on these X-rated movies no more. What should I think on? The Bible. I'll start with Romans chapter 12. I just gave you a good example. I can't get these rock and roll songs out of my head. What can I do? Put more Bible in there. Put more Bible in there. Boy, isn't it a funny thing how I can sit down and actually memorize verses in the Bible and five months later I can't remember what they was. I've got to go back and relearn it again. But I can be sitting in the, in, the, uh, in the 50s fashion hamburger joint and a song come on that I ain't heard in 30 years and I remember every word. Because this, this, this physical carnal body is hardwired to the things of this world. It's just the way it is. I wish it was different, but that's the way that it is. It's easy to be worldly. You don't have to put any effort into it at all. Any one of us, you could have been saved a hundred years. You could jump back out there in the world and and just about uh, be right back in step with them. You might have to look and see what they is wearing today. Or you might have to, you know, Google the latest fashion so that you could get back in step. But you could jump in. Somebody, you know, talking about, but there, there ought to be in a Christian, the Holy Spirit in there saying, now this ain't the way to go. The Bible said if you was a Christian, if you was one of God's people, he said there would be a voice beside you saying, this is the way. Walk you in it. And I think if you're saved here tonight, you may not have the best fellowship with God in the world, but I bet you've heard that voice before, hadn't you? That voice in your ear saying, there's something more than this. There's people, Brother, uh, Brother Eddie, that I know have been going to church for year after year after year, but for some reason, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a voice saying, there's something more than this. There's something more. Because salvation is a Christianity uh, being a son of God is something more than just going to church every Sunday. I mean, it's, it's, there's more to it than just coming to church and singing a couple of hymns and hearing the preaching. There's more to it than that. I know that there's Christians right here tonight. You come to church and you hear sermons, but you don't know the blessing of taking the sermon home with you. There's Christians that know about the fact that they're indwelt with the Spirit, but you don't know the blessing of actually talking to the Holy Spirit. Or I should say more accurately, having Him talk to you through the week. There are Christians right here, there's people that's born again, and you know what it's like to get down and beg God for the things that you want. But you don't know the blessing of being assured of the fact that there's a spirit in you that cries out to God on your behalf. You don't know what that's about because you never experienced it before. It's happening, but you don't have enough fellowship, enough closeness to understand it's going on in your heart and life. And you can know it, but it's going to cost you, see, going to cost you. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you when your hand reaches for that favorite thing to say, no, I can't do that. 
We can't do that. Paul said, he said, all things are lawful for me. Do whatever you want. But he said, all things are not expedient. At some point in time, listen, uh, from time to time, I quit drinking Cokes. Nothing wrong with Coke as far as I can understand. I don't want there to be anything wrong with Coke. But, but knowing how frail that I am and knowing how frail that you are, I know there's things in your life, I know there's things in my life that sometimes when I begin to indulge too much, I just have to say, I just can't. I got to focus. I got to, I got to, I got to, uh, I got to micromanage my life a little bit better. I got to stay focused on the things that really make a difference in my life. And that's called discipline yourself. You discipline in the army, discipline in the, all the branches of the service. You got disciplines in high school. You got disciplines in your home. You got to be disciplined for Christ. And to be in fellowship with God, it's going to cost you some discipline. This then is the message we have heard of him and declaring to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now listen, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Why would he say that if it wasn't happening? If there wasn't people who was actually saying, yeah, I know God and I'm a Christian, but they were still walking in darkness. If there wasn't people like that, why would it say it? I want you to just do a quick survey of your life. This thing you've got inside of your head is really a powerful thing if you turn it on and use it. And right now, sitting in your seat, you have the ability to hit the enter button and your mind will flash from the day you got saved to this day and you can answer this question with relative ease. And the question is this, have I really changed since I got saved or did I just start going to church? Is my actions, is my activities different? Is my thought process different? Before I got saved, I could do what I wanted to, and it really didn't seem like it bothered me that much. I mean, after the initial searing of my conscience and, and justifying myself for doing it, how easy is it to justify yourself now? I bet if you just hit the enter button like I told you to do, you can answer that question real easy. And if it's real easy for you to keep on living the same kind of life that you were living before and write, write it off to some fictitious excuse like the grace of God for you to keep doing that, then there's never been a discipleship moment in your life. Because it's not easy to live the same life that you lived before in the presence of Jesus Christ, the righteous. Amen. And that's a question. Listen, I'm not telling you, I'm not sitting up here today saying I'm never going to talk to you again if you're not a disciple or if you're not disciplined yourself. I'm not saying that. The benefit is yours, not mine. You can go home and keep doing it the same way you've been doing it, but that way's broken. Let me tell you that as loud and as clear as I can. That old way of living is broken. It don't turn out no good at all. You say, well, I'm saved now. That old life is still broken. That old way still leads to destruction. Amen. Amen. It'll, being in fellowship with God will cost you uh, discipleship. Cost you discipleship. He said if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. You wouldn't lie that now that you're saved, are you? Would you? Amen. If the Christian life was measured by a carnal scale, it would be described as tribulation. If we would, 
If we had to sit down and write a book report, if we had to, if we had to take a survey of Christianity, if we had to describe Christianity, if we had to open up a, a Wikipedia page on what Christianity was really like, if we wrote it on a carnal scale, we would say that it was tribulation. I try to do right, and it's hard to do right, and I have to just about kick against the pricks in order to do right. I try to do right, and my flesh fights me on it. I try to do right and somebody gives me an excuse why I shouldn't worry about doing right. I mean, just the Lord said, in this world you'd have tribulation. And looking at it from the carnal perspective, we say, oh man, it's hard. Solomon tried to do it without, without being born again. And you know what he said? You know what Solomon said, the wisest man that ever lived? He said, much study is a weariness to the flesh. You know what it is uh, to live, try to live for God without the power of the Holy Spirit, without being born again, without the Word of God, without instruction. You know what it is? It's a weariness to the flesh. Why can't I just keep on living the way I used to and just enjoy the grace of God? Because it just can't. The flesh lusteth against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. The two are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. Living a carnal life saying, I need to do right. You can't do right. You're living a life being disciplined and doing right and your flesh says, I need to go do this bad thing again. Boy, I'm real tempted to go back and do it. But the Spirit says, you can't do that. So that you cannot do the things that you would. Sometimes you would do right. Sometimes you would do wrong. What's the deciding factor on which way I'm going to go? The deciding factor is, have you disciplined yourself on the spiritual side? Then it'll be easier not to go back. Have you disciplined yourself on the, on the carnal side? Have you given over to the carnal pleasures? It's going to be real difficult for you to fellowship with God in the spiritual sense because you cannot do the things that you would. What, whichever one you're feeding going to be the strongest. If it was measured by the carnal scale, it'd be described as tribulation. How many times, Brother Eddie, have I knocked on somebody's door and asked them if they were saved? And they say, I would get saved, but I just can't live it. They'll use the excuse, and they, it sounds real good to them. It, it does. I mean, and from a carnal perspective, it might, it might sound all right from a carnal perspective. But they say, I don't want to be no hypocrite. Well, I don't want you to be no hypocrite either. But jump on in, the water's fine, amen? Because uh, I had never met a man that wasn't a hypocrite. Amen? Never met one. Never met one yet. Hadn't met one yet. Amen. If you were to measure Christianity, I mean a real Christian life, a disciple life in the scale of a carnal scale and perspective of, a, of looking at it as a carnal man, tribulation might look pretty rough. The Lord sometimes uses that in his promotional programs. A fellow come up and said, Jesus, I sure would like to follow you. I look at your disciples here. They look real good. Look like some upstanding fellas. I think I'll follow you a little while. And you know what the Lord did? He described it on a carnal scale. He said, the foxes have holes. The birds, they have nests. But the Son of God... He said, I don't even have nowhere to lay my head down. And from the carnal perspective, that fellow says, well, I don't know about that then. Mm. But if we were to describe it on the spiritual scale, what would it be? It'd be righteousness. It'd be joy. It'd be peace. See, I said, it's not too fun being disciplined. 
but it sure is fun having the results of that discipline. Hey, Brother Eddie, they took us down to Paris Island, South Carolina. I was used to being up there in those mountains where I could run down to the creek. I lived 100 yards from the creek, and I could jump in knee-deep and lay down, cool off in the middle of the day, and all of a sudden I found myself on this four-acre blacktop down there at Paris Island standing like this with my rifle and my stupid-looking outfit. Looked like I was wearing them big green pajamas. Standing out there in the middle of the day, 95 degrees on Paris Island, about to pass out. Boy, this, you say, what is that? Discipleship. It's hardship. It's taking you out from what you used to be, making you into something else. And boy, I suffered through that. You say, how come you suffered through all that? How come you went through all that trouble and hardship? Because I knew there would be a day when I'd put on a blue uniform with the red stripe and, and these shiny little eagle globe and anchors on my collar and give me that big white hat and those white gloves and that nice uh, belt that if you still had a belly left, it'd suck your belly in. So it just looked like a fine chiseled war machine. Get out there on the middle of that parade ground, stand up straight and tall and They'd say, welcome to the United States Marine Corps. And I know many, many an 18-year-old fellow that had that same pleasure. Well, you go through the discipleship, you go through the discipline in order to make something better out of yourself. And listen, there's not one Marine Corps uniform or one Marine Corps memory or one Marine Corps history or or one uh, Marine Corps ethos that would ever match what it's like to go through the discipline for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ to prove what he can do in your life, to prove how he can do it in your life, to show how good he is and how great he is. And at the end of the day, not put on a uniform, Contrary to popular belief, the uniform of a Christian is not a white shirt and a red tie. Amen? You say, what is the uniform of a Christian? It's righteousness. But more than just righteousness, it's joy. It's joy. Hey, they made fun of me down at the workplace today because I talked about Jesus a little bit. But guess what? God gave me the shoulders to bear up under that. Little old boy about... 70 or 80 pounds when I first went into the ninth grade. I was a little fella. I mean, I was a little fella for sure. Well, I didn't have big enough shoulders. They'd pick on you and make fun of you and stuff like that. And I was born with the name Underwood. They called me Underwear. I thought, man, alive. How in the world am I going to get out of such a ridicule as this? I'm going to have to live the whole, my whole life being called Underwear. And then my mama met a man and she got married to that man. He's going to adopt us, and his name was Easter, and I've been living with Easter Bunny from that time forward. <laughs> Amen. Uh, go home at night, and boy, I wish they wouldn't pick on me. I wish they wouldn't say bad things about me. Oh, Brother Mike, we're so sorry you went through bullies. I thank God for bullies. Bullies taught me some wonderful lessons. I mean, I'm not talking about, I'm t- but I'm talking about at the time, boy, I went home and thought about that thing. They called me names. But you know what? There's something different now. Talk about the Lord and they say, hey, you're one of them religious, religious fanatics, ain't you? Go home and I say, they called me a religious fanatic. You know what that means? That means I got reason to shout her out. The Bible said, Simon Peter, he said in the Bible, he said if they begin to ridicule you and they begin to put you through tribu- uh, tribulation, when they begin to persecute you, he said, count it all joy. It's a good cause. But you can't get to that point without discipline. Well, for one of you, it might be real easy to go through that little discipline. 
Whatever discipline it takes to get you to bear up under the pressure of this world might be real easy for you. But praise God for that. For some of you, it might be hard to get to the place where you can say, I don't care if they call me names or not. But you still have to go through it. You know, if you join the army, I think it's about six weeks to get through that army discipline. 13 weeks to get through Marine Corps discipline. Over a year if you count all the training that's involved. But just got to go through it. Got to go through it. Amen. Amen. But it's a cost. At the end of the day, right is right no matter the outcome. Amen. And that's the, that's the measure. That's the weight. Of, I mean, we're talking about discipline. We're not talking about ice cream Sundays. We're talking about discipline. That's what it'll take. We're counting the cost, right? Amen. Then let me read you one more thing, and we'll, we'll uh, dismiss. First, you said, what else will it cost? And, and this basically goes along the same lines. I, uh, but I will give you these verses to kind of back up what I've said already. First Corinthians, uh, I think you, I think you lucked out because I think I preached part two basically along with part one. But First Corinthians chapter four, I want you to see the mindset of a Christian. So, well, brother Mike, well, let, let me read it first. First Corinthians four, and let's look at. Let's start reading in verse 9. For I think that God hath set forth us the apostles last, as it were appointed, un, appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. Men going to look at you and say, you're a fool. You can work late on Wednesday night and get some overtime, but you forego that because you want to go to church. They don't understand that. Oh, you mean you close your business an hour early to go to church? We don't understand that. They're not going to understand that. It's foolish to the natural man. But he said, we're fools for Christ's sake. We're not fools for our own sake. He said, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but ye are despised. You know what Paul's saying? He said, if I go through hardship, and if I look like a fool, you get the benefit of it. You look like a wise man. Somebody in the ministry is making your life better. You just don't know that yet. If you'd be disciplined enough to get into the ministry, you'd be making some, you'd be called a fool, but you'd be making somebody else wiser. You would look like a weak man because you wasn't able to do that much in the flesh because you're trusting in the Lord, not your flesh, but you'd be making somebody else strong. See what he's saying? You're honorable. But we're despised. See, somebody gets up and proclaims the name of the Lord. He looks like an idiot to the world. Somebody hearing him preach, trust the Lord. And he quits drinking or he quits cheating on his wife. And his neighbors and friends are saying, boy, look at the change in that old fella. <laughs> when Bobby McInvale came in and got saved, people went. But that ain't half of it. When they saw him start coming to church every week, they said, oh, my soul. You say, what he looked like? He began to look honorable. Amen. You reckon Bobby McInvale ever looked honorable in the community? But when he started going to church every Sunday, you know what that cost, though? That cost some preacher somewhere looking like an idiot. Looking like a firebrand. Looking judgmental. Some preacher gained a label by doing what he was told to do by God, but you gained an honor. Amen? Hey, you want to see that thing painted in the perfect picture? Jesus Christ hung in shame. You stand in glory. 
He hung on the cross ridiculed. And you sit here clean tonight. That's shouting ground. I just don't think many of us are in close enough fellowship to realize that. He hung in disgrace. Now you stand by grace. That's wonderful right there, amen. That's the ultimate picture. Now Paul's saying that thing is being recreated in my life. He said, I look weak, but you look strong. I look like a fool, but you look wise. Amen. Amen. Have you ever sat in the church and think, this is kind of foolish sitting here listening to a man talk for 45 minutes, especially when I can watch a TV. I mean, at least they put some effort into that, but you don't know what's going on, see? Something's taking place. He said, even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. He said, and labor working with our hands, being reviled, we bless. Go ahead and talk bad about us, he said. We're going to bless the Lord. Amen. Amen. He said, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being, hey, listen, somebody ever talks bad about you because you're a Christian or at your church or something like that, just let it roll off your back. Keep going for God. Amen. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world. Look at this. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. Listen, if you're going to be a disciple of Christ, it's going to cost you. You're going to get labels. You're going to have people look at you like you're an absolute fool. And let me say this, a church that's in good standing with the world is not a good church. Let me boil that down a little bit to a little bit finer poison for you. A Christian that's in good standing with the world is not a good Christian. Now, I didn't say you couldn't have a good report. You ought, I mean, they ought not say, well, there goes that thief. There goes that fellow that run up all them bills and he can't pay for them. I understand having a good report of them that are without But in this world you have tribulation, the Bible says. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Amen. We're talking about discipline. The result of it, the going through it's not that fun. But the the result of it, the consequences of it is, oh, I can see see what God's doing here. I can see the blessing that other people are getting in my life. And that's what we are. We're ambassadors for Christ's sake. God didn't send us here to a geographic area, a bunch of uh, dirt and ground called Charlton County. He sent us here to to the people. The people that, listen, you're going to invade the devil's territory and the devil's going to be mad about it. And the person you're trying to witness to is going to be mad about it. But go ahead and try to take that ground. Amen? Amen. You say, well, they'll talk bad. Let them do it. Let them do it. He said, being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring, are the offscouring of all things unto this day. You ever scrubbed anything that was real dirty and saw that soap and mud and dirt and whatever else it was kind of slide down? What it, I mean, that, that's what the offscouring is. It's the stuff that's been scraped off in order to make something else clean. Paul says, we're the offscouring of the world. It's like the Lord is taking you. The, the world looks at you like you're just filthy. But all the Lord's really doing, he's taking you and just scrubbing everything with you. You ever looked at a brush after you've scrubbed it? Scrub your bathtub or scrub the side of your house or scrub your car with the brush and then look at the brush? It's not clean and white like it was when it come from the store. You say, what's that? That's the off-scouring. And the Lord, Paul said, that's what we've got to be willing to do. 
That's the cost, you see. It's the cost. A church in good standing with the world is not a good church. A Christian in good standing with the world is not a good Christian. Amen? Amen. Oh, I... Luke 13, 4. You don't have to turn there. I'll close with this. Luke 13, 4. Jesus is standing around and he says, so, so fella come up to him and said, hey, did you hear about them folks over in Siloam? said a tire fell on them. Not a tire, a T-I-R-E, a tire. A tower. A tower fell upon those folks. A tower fell on them. And the Lord says, the Lord scratched his head and thought about that a minute. And he says, do you suppose that those men over there in uh, Siloam were sinners above every other man because that tower fell on them? You know, we talk about the Lord has his way in the whirlwind. We talk about God judging people like Hurricane Katrina. I believe that was God's judgment. You say, why do you believe it was God's judgment? Because God has his way in the whirlwind. God deserves his way. God send natural disasters sometime like that to take, to take, uh, to take out judgment. But here's another side of the coin. See, he said, "You think those people were sinners exceedingly because the tower of Siloam fell on them? Hey, do you think those people in her, that live in Louisiana were worse sinners than you because Hurricane Katrina blew in on them? But no, he said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish." You know what he's talking about there? Uh, what difference does it make if the Tower of Siloam falls on you? What difference does it make if a hurricane comes through here and blows you and your house from here to kingdom come? Or if you live to be 90 years old and die in your sins, what difference does it make? You know what the cost of a good Christian's life is going to be ultimately? You know what it's going to take to cause you to say, from this day forward, I'm going to live a discipled life. From this day forward, I'm not just going to go to church and then uh, sneer at my neighbors because they don't go to church. I mean, you may, if, if you're just going to come to church to come to church, you may as well stay home with your neighbors. Y'all cook out together, split the cost. But you, you know what's going to make the difference? A little humility. What's going to make the difference before I can witness to somebody without being afraid if they never speak to me again or if they call me names or if they run back to the bingo club and say, did you know what that fellow said? That fellow from over there at People's Baptist, he said I was going to die and go to hell. Ain't that stupid? Yeah, they're a bunch of, they're a bunch of legalists over there. You know what it's going to take for you to be able to put yourself in front of that kind of uh, cruel mocking? Humility. You're just about to do it, and then you say, no, I better not do it. You're saying you're too good to do it. His name's not worthy to be exalted above your own name. And that's all a matter of, it's all a matter of humility. If you're going to count the cost, you're going to find out that your self-esteem is going to be part of that cost. I do not teach self-esteem. Say, Brother Mike, I'm trying to improve my self-esteem. You're about to ruin yourself. You say, why is that, Brother Mike? Because you're eventually going to let yourself down again. Then you're going to be depressed on top of having low self-esteem. I don't teach self-esteem. I teach Christ's esteem. Amen? The Bible says Moses counted Christ greater riches. Amen? He said he would suffer persecution with the people of God before he'd go up there and sit down under his, uh, under his stepmother's feet and enjoy the riches of Egypt.
That ought to be the place every Christian is. I'd be glad to go sit at the foot of the cross and let them give me the same ridicule they gave him if only his name would be glorified through it. And his name will be glorified. You say, how, do, how, how can I be sure it's going to be effective though? Because Christ said, if I, he said, I, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. Amen. He'll do that. The only thing about it is, we're not, we're not trusting into some black mystery to, to do that for us. The Bible uses means. The Bible says that Christ is going to draw all men to himself, but he uses means to do that. He uses a gospel preacher. He uses an individual witness, you, me. He used the Word of God. He used the Holy Spirit. But listen, He uses all those things in the ones that are humble enough to go through the discipline that it takes. Those men and women that will count the cost and say, Christ is worth me giving up this or that. And I'm not, going to, I'm not preaching a sermon about what that is. I'm simply saying in your life, in each life in this building tonight, there is something in your life that's blocking the path from here where you are to the joy, peace, and righteousness that God has for you. And that, whatever that is, it's going to take the discipline and the strength and the power of God to get through those things. And you can get there. You can get there. If this dumb, skinny runt, uneducated from the hills of Virginia can do anything, can have God do anything through him, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. The question is only this. The same question that was asked when you got saved. Will you? Will you? Lord, we do thank you tonight for your goodness and grace. I pray, oh God, that this message was clear uh, Lord, I, uh, b besides just preaching the straight gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, I don't know that there is a more important message to start off a Christian life with uh, than to just consider the fact, will we be discipled? Will we be transformed by the renewing of our mind? And Lord, we could say the transforming of, uh, by the renewing of our mind, or we could just say the word discipline, discipleship. Those two statements are the same whether we use the one word or the many. And I pray, oh God, that we'd leave this place. Every single one of us would leave the place tonight dedicated just to being your disciples. And more than that, it's not just a rigorous exercise to go through, but it means fellowship. It means being able to talk with you on a regular basis. And I know with all my heart, God, that there's men and women all around this world tonight that wish they could just talk to their wives a little better than they do. Or they wish their husbands would talk to them or they wish their wives would talk to them or their sons and daughters have went astray and they just wish to goodness that they could be in fellowship with that son or daughter. And Lord, if we only knew that that was the same way that you look at most of us, willing and ready, God, to fellowship with us, but we just don't count the cost and we won't pay the cost and oftentimes we fake it. We fake being Christians. We, we go through our own rituals and really basically just serve ourselves and we're no substitute for your matchless grace. We're no substitute for your power. My own conscience, God, is no substitute for the joy and the assurance that comes from knowing that I'm your son and you're my father and you're my provider and I'm your servant. Lord, there's nothing like it in the world. And I myself would be the first one ready and willing to say that I come short in a lot of these things. It's not my desire to come short, God. It's my desire to get more and more, to do better and better. And I pray you'd help me with it. I pray you'd help these with it. 
Bless them for coming out tonight. Bless them for sitting through the sermon. And I'll thank you, dear God, for all that you do. I pray, oh God, that this sermon would have some real effect in their lives. I know it can only do that uh, through the power of the Word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. But God, I pray with all my heart that that uh, passage of Scripture that I quoted earlier, uh, that you would, uh, Lord, uh, use your Word to save them that believe. I pray you do that tonight. In Jesus Christ's name I pray it. Amen. Amen.